0: Welcome to the Further Light Podcast, presented by Wisconsin Freemasonry, helping you accomplish your Masonic goals through education and more light. And now, I present to you, Brother Dan Gray. This is Brother Dan Gray. And today I want to explore King Solomon's Temple in the Bible. This podcast series on King Solomon's Temple is being broken up into three parts. The historical King Solomon's Temple, King Solomon's Temple in the Bible, and King Solomon's Temple in Masonic Tradition. The topic I am addressing is King Solomon's Temple in the Bible. This may appear to be the most straightforward of the three subjects, but as with any in-depth study of any Bible theme, complexity, multiple perspectives, and uncertainty rapidly come to the fore. Also, it is impossible to fully separate an understanding of the biblical temple from the historical temple, or more accurately, temples. Additionally, the use of King Solomon's temple as symbolic has exhibited a vibrant role in the temple's status since before it was even built. However, it is my task to discuss the temple as it is encountered in the Bible. I will try and accomplish this in as straightforward a way as possible. All biblical quotes included in this podcast are from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, translation of the Bible. And I must now return to the plural, temples. There are three distinct building projects, which have been known as the Jerusalem Temple, referred to in the Old and New Testaments, plus one non-physical, visionary rendition of the temple in the prophetic writings of the Old Testament. The first of these is commonly referred to as King Solomon's Temple, or the First Temple, the construction of which is described in great detail in 1 Kings chapters 6-8, with a parallel account included in 2 Chronicles chapters 2-4 built in the early 10th century BCE, around 980 BCE, and destroyed in 587 BCE. The second of these temples, known as the Second Temple, was built after the return of some of the Jews from exile in Babylon between 520 and 515 BCE. The third of these temples is called the Temple of Herod, due to the extensive additions to the added to the temple during the reign of king herod 37 bce to 4 ce this temple was destroyed by the romans in 70 ce there is an additional description of the temple in the prophetic writings of ezekiel while he was in exile in babylon while probably based upon ezekiel's pre-exile experience of the jerusalem temple before it was destroyed This description is part of a visionary experience, which contains numerous elements which were never part of the physical structure of the temple, but played a large role in Jewish understanding of the temple and its importance. The first temple, or King Solomon's temple. This is the house of the Lord, which King David had hoped to build in Jerusalem on the site of the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. One Chronicles chapter 21 and 22 relate how King David angered the Lord by conducting a census of the people of Israel in order to determine the number of potential fighting men available to him. This counting of soldiers was offensive to God because it displayed a lack of trust in God's promise to make Israel a great and mighty nation. Censuses were often the first step in introducing programs of taxation and conscription. Whatever its purpose, this counting up of resources displeased God, and he, quote, struck Israel, unquote. In order to deflect the anger of God, David admits his guilt and asks for it to be taken away. God gives David three options to erase his guilt. Three years of famine, three months of military devastation by his enemies, or three days of, quote, pestilence upon the land and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel, unquote. First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 12. David chooses the third option. After one day, 70,000 Israelites have fallen and an angel was sent to Jerusalem to destroy it. On the grain threshing floor of Orna and the Jebusite, David and other elders fall on their faces before the angel, and David says the punishment should fall upon him and not the people, because it was his decision that led to sin. God relents, and through the angel, God tells David to erect an altar on the site of the threshing floor for making sacrifices of burnt offerings. This background story provides an explanation of why the temple was built where it was on the site where the destruction of Jerusalem by an angel of the Lord was halted. After this salvation, David began preparing for the building of the house of the Lord. As written in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, David gave orders to gather together the aliens who were residing in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for the building of the house of God. David also provided great stores of iron for nails for the doors of the gates and for clamps, as well as a, as bronze in quantities beyond weighing and cedar logs without number. For the Sidonians and Ty- Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to In the next paragraph, David tells his son Solomon that he had planned to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God, but was told by God that he, David, had shed too much blood on the earth. God added that he would give David a son and the peace and quiet necessary for the son to build a house to the name of the Lord. So this is the backstory to the first temple of Jerusalem. The enemies of Israel had been defeated or at least dominated into peaceful coexistence so that the power of the kingdom can now be solidified. Control over the territory can be maintained in a state of relative peace and prosperity. From David, the warrior king, Solomon inherits a stable enough situation that he can rule in peace through diplomacy and trade with his surrounding neighbors. After successful wars of acquisition have been waged, it is time to build. Not only defensive fortifications, but governmental structures and palaces. At this time in history, there was little separation between the rulers of a people and the deity, or deity is associated with that people. If the ruler and the people have the support and approval of deity, they prosper, are safe, and dwell in happiness. If approval from deity is withdrawn, the people may experience famine, disease, warfare, and military destruction. Okay. I'm starting to wander from biblical recounting into historical context. However, some nod to historical background is needed to begin to make sense of the importance of the temple to the Israelite mind and psyche. It is the building of King Solomon's temple that is the focus of the very detailed measurements and descriptions recounted in the books of 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. The basic shape of the Jerusalem temple was a rectangle divided into three sections along the same axis. The interior width of all three sections was 20 cubits. The total length of the building was 60 cubits, with a height of 52 cubits. A cubit was a unit of measure equal to the distance from a man's elbow to the tip of the middle finger. In practice, an ordinary cubit was about 17.5 inches long, um, and a long or royal cubit was about 20.7 inches. It is believed that the long cubit would have been the unit of measure for the temple, translating to dimensions of 105 feet long, 35 feet wide, and 52 feet high, covering an area of about 3,675 square feet. Entrance to the temple was gained by passing through the first of the three sections, the ulam, which has been translated as vestibule, porch, portico, or entrance hall. The two hollow cast bronze pillars, Boaz and Jachin, were situated on either side of the entrance to the entrance hall or the ulam. The second section of the temple was the largest room, measuring 75 feet long and 35 feet wide. Its name in Hebrew is Hekal and has been translated as the nave, the main room, the temple proper, or the holy place. This term conveys the idea of a temple as an earthly dwelling of the place of deity. The size of the Hekal and the fact that it had windows indicate that this chamber was where most of the interior activity took place. The furniture of this room included a small altar for incense, ten golden lampstands, and a table for the bread of the presence. The walls of cypress wood were carved with figures of cherubim, flowers, and palm trees, then overlaid with gold. The wooden floors were also covered with gold. The innermost chamber of the temple is known in Hebrew as the Debir, which has been translated as inner sanctuary, oracle, shrine, holy of holies, aditum, or, quote, most holy place. The doors were carved with flowers, palm trees, and cherubim, and were overlaid with gold, as was the wooden floor. The inner dimensions of the Debir were 20 by 20 by 20 cubits, making it a perfect cube of about 34.5 feet in each direction. The furnishings of the inner sanctum were two enormous olive wood cherubim overlaid with gold, each with a wingspan of, a, of 17 and a quarter feet and a height of 17 and a quarter feet. Beneath the wings of the cherubim was the Ark of the Covenant, The ark contained the two stone tablets of the law, a jar of manna, and the rod of Aaron. The ark was a direct manifestation of God's presence. This completes a brief description of the interior rooms, which constitute the main components of the temple. However, there was also a three-tiered complex of storerooms, 30 rooms to a story that surrounded the temple on three sides. These side chambers housed the temple treasury, a storehouse for religious objects, as well as other precious items sent to Jerusalem as gifts, tribute, war booty, or taxes. The temple interior was not a place of popular worship, like a church sanctuary or a synagogue. The temple was the place for the official priesthood to conduct the ceremonies that symbolized and continued the covenant of the Lord with the nation of Israel. The Jewish people might gather in the courtyard outside the temple. Only the priests were allowed to enter. The first temple was constructed by King Solomon around 980 BCE. It was burned with most of the rest of Jerusalem by the Babylonians nearly 400 years later in 587 BCE. The second temple was built inspired by Ezekiel and others between 520 and 515 BCE. The second temple was replaced by King Herod during his reign, covering the years of 37 BCE to 4 CE. In the words of the HarperCollins Bible Dictionary, his grandiose building projects included the construction of an entirely new gold-covered temple. Although the sanctuary itself continued to correspond to the Solomonic dimensions, constructed on an enormous platform of about 169,000 square yards within a broad public area, the temple and its courts were surrounded by a Roman-style colonnade and entered through monumental gates. This is the temple that features in several New Testament gospel stories. The birth of John the Baptist, whose father was a priest serving at the temple, The missing 12-year-old Jesus found conversing with elders in the temple, the famous cleansing of the temple in which Jesus turns over the tables of the money chambers, as well as several other interactions with religious leaders of the day. This temple was destroyed by Roman general Titus, with most of the city in 70 CE, bringing a conclusion to the Jewish revolt of 66 to 70 CE against Roman rule. This is a very brief overview of the Temple of Solomon, or the Jerusalem Temple, temples, as it is presented, as they are presented in the Bible. These three main structures existed for almost 1,000 years at various times providing a unifying symbolic structure which included political, religious, and cultural dimensions. The actual physical structures are long gone gone most almost twice as long as they existed, but their importance as symbols for the relationship of humanity to God continues to resonate, inform, and inspire to this day. Thank you for joining me, Brother Dan Gray, and the entire Further Light team on your quest to find more light through masonry. Are you interested in learning more about Freemasonry in Wisconsin? Visit wisconsinmasons.org to learn more about Masonry and access further educational content and more light. Once again, that address is wimasons.org. Any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at education at wisconsinmasons.org. And thank you for listening.